You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Invitations for the bivalent vaccine shot will begin this week. BC health officials say it's our best shot to hold COVID and its variants at bay, and they're encouraging everyone once again to get vaccinated. Richard Zussman has more on who's first eligible. BC's booster program is getting a shot in the arm. Everybody five and up is eligible for a booster. The province laying out the full vaccination program, including access to bivalence. Anyone five and older will be eligible for a booster six months after their last shot. The bivalent designed to tackle Omicron will be for those 18 plus. Those who have had the COVID virus should wait three months post-infection and at least six months since their last vaccine. There are lots of good reasons to get vaccinated, to protect yourself, to protect the ones you love, to protect the ones you know, don't know, to protect your community, to protect the healthcare system. Anyone can get a booster now, but bivalence will be by invitation only through the provincial system. That vaccine will start arriving in BC this week. Pharmacies will get it first with more than 500 getting access. And health authority clinics will be up and running by September 19th, providing around a quarter million shots a week. And we'll run that capacity as long as we need to as the demand is flowing. There was serious concern from public health about what will come this fall. COVID-19 cases expected to peak again in November or December, around the same time the flu is set to return. That's why the province will be offering flu shots and COVID shots at the same time in October, also with a maximum of about 250,000 shots available per week. This will include for the most vulnerable. Many of them already have four doses, and by October, we'll be ready for a fifth dose plus a flu shot. We can't get rid of uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty, but this is our best um, guess of what's going to happen and unfold over the coming months. The province saw about 70% uptake for the third doses back in the spring. They expect the same for fourth doses here in the fall, largely driven by pharmacies. Enough for the province to be firm in its belief that restrictions are not coming back. I don't see us getting there unless we have the emergence of something very new and different where we have that susceptibility again. We, we know how to deal with a lot of this. And dealing with it now starts with getting that vaccine. Richard Osman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on what we need to know about this booster shot. Keith, we've been throwing around the term bivalent, but it bears mm -hmm. repeating what that really means. What it really means is that's our usual vaccine, our usual type of vaccine. So this is not the messenger RNA or mRNA vaccine we've been using uh, through the pandemic of, of, in terms of Pfizer and Moderna. This is a new form, traditional form. And main reason why it's traditional, it's a combination vaccine. That's why it's more common out there than uh, in other illnesses as well, and especially flu. The influenza vaccine is a great example of this type of vaccine. It's actually a combination of three or four different vaccines. This particular one is an apt adapted version of the Moderna Spikevax COVID-19 vaccine, and it's seen as particularly more effective against the Omicron variant than other vaccines. Also effective against the regular strain of COVID-19 as well. Dr. Bonnie Henry emphasizing that this is a very traditional vaccine today. These uh, types of combination vaccines are, are actually very common. The most common one that people probably know very well are influenza vaccines and influenza vaccines have three or four different strains of influenza in this in the one product. We also have polio vaccines and pneumococcal vaccines that have multivalence in them as well. 
So this Moderna bivalent vaccine is meant as a booster shot. If you haven't got a first or second dose, this is not for you. You have to get the other doses, the other types of vaccines first, then you can move on to this one. Uh, again, a reminder, there's 1.3 million people out there, many of them watching right now, who have received invitations to get their booster. You haven't taken them up on that. Perhaps you'll take it up when this particular vaccine arrives in B.C. All right, let's hope so. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, BC's low vaccination rate among many children returning to school has some critics calling on the provincial government to make changes. As Kylie Stanton reports, they're pointing to Newfoundland as an example of how to boost the rates here. Backpacks are full of fresh paper and pencils as students head back to school. But this year, the one thing that will help to keep them safe isn't on the supply list. There will be no masks, there's no distancing, so the one protection that our kids have is going to be vaccination. The uptake, particularly in the 5 to 11 year old age group, has been slow and not very steady. Since the vaccines became available in late November of last year, a little more than 58% of children have received their first dose. Only 46% are fully vaccinated. Compare that with Newfoundland and Labrador, where 82.5% have a single dose and 66% have two. Well, the numbers are the measure, and the numbers really indicate that government has not uh, succeeded in convincing parents to get the vaccine for their kids, in the protection for their kids. Messaging is one thing, but accessibility is another. Newfoundland and Labrador offered doses to students on site in schools, providing parents with options and flexibility. This works for other um, public health vaccines, for other routine vaccinations. There's no reason it shouldn't work for COVID vaccines. And we need to start looking at COVID vaccines as no longer being extraordinary and as being routine. And this is something that I really hope that the province would consider. When asked if that's the case, Dr. Henry had this to say. Yes, uh, in schools where it makes sense, but not all schools, because we know uh, that local public health knows where those strategies work best and where people are able to get vaccine and access vaccine, depending on the program. The provincial government is working on a campaign aimed at increasing the vaccination rate in elementary school-aged children. That's expected to roll out in the coming weeks. But officials say they expect the numbers will inevitably rise as families settle in to their new routines. It does fall on government and public health, um, but also hoping that parents recognize their children are, are going into classrooms with other students and think about that as well. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, day one of the new school year, and there's a warning about a shortage of teachers. The BCTF says it's struggling with critically low staffing levels in parts of the province and says at least one school district is so desperate it's filling the gaps with people who might not be certified for the job. Kamal Kuramali reports. The thrill and excitement of a new school year. I like the first day of school, but I didn't have recess. It all begins today. I'm also a single mom, so it's kind of like a relief for me because I'm finally getting back into my routine. Relief they're out of the home, but concerned about what they're facing in the classroom. So what do you think, Tiffany at the back? Teacher shortages. It's tough. It's, I see them struggling because there's so many kids that need help that aren't getting the help. Educators are leaving for other provinces and other countries. The BC Teachers Federation says it all comes down to wages. Salaries that'll keep up to the rising inflation that we see right now 
uh, that kind of inflation can be a really serious effective pay cut. The teacher's shortfall hitting dozens per district on some days. Things have gotten so bad, some schools are putting out advertisements to replace those positions with non-certified teachers. Here's a posting for a school in Prince George and another in Prince Rupert. We know that there are uncertified uh, individuals teaching around the province. Um, but to see it advertised, ask for, to kind of accept it, that's a real concern for us. Some people leave because of burnout. The teachers' uh, union has been negotiating a new contract with the province. And one of the big sticking points is a wage increase to incentivize B.C.-trained teachers to stay in B.C. We're in competition uh, for good teachers in this province. We, we want to have uh, the best education system in the country. Uh, we're going to have to make sure that we're investing in it that way. This is a subject of discussion in, uh, in collective bargaining between the employer and the BCTF, I think, is, as you know, and we'll uh, wait for the outcome of those, uh, of those discussions. BCTF says going on strike, not an option right now. These parents, though, losing patience. It's kind of worrisome. While they say their children are losing out on having a full education. See you tomorrow. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Well, the Prime Minister was in Vancouver today, breaking ground on a major housing development. The Indigenous-owned Sanak project will add thousands of rental units to the city. And while some say the project is not the right fit for the neighbourhood, the federal government is lending more than a billion dollars to make sure it's built. Amadagahi reports. It has already been billed as the largest Indigenous-led housing development in Canadian history. And on Tuesday, Squamish Nation Sanok development broke ground with the backing of the country's largest ever federal construction loan. The number of times I've crossed this bridge uh, without uh, realizing the gem and the opportunity uh, that uh, we're about to be launching today. The $1.4 billion low-interest loan is through the CMHC, and it will fund the first two phases of the project. A project that, once complete, will transform the 10.5 acres of vacant land owned by the Squamish Nation underneath the south end of Vancouver's Burrard Bridge. The entirety of more than 6,000 units built will be rentals, a fifth of which are promised to be rented at what will be deemed an affordable rate, below market prices. An over $10 billion return that is going to come back to the Squamish people through the use of our lands, through sustainable economic development. Wealth that we will generate from our lands to support the aspirations, the dreams, the hopes of the Squamish people. But some local concern lies with the strain on the current infrastructure and also the transportation options available to the roughly 9,000 people that will one day call this development home. Curious why uh, the announcement today didn't come with any additional promise of funding for infrastructure uh, from the federal government. I know the municipality has been working with the Squamish Nation. We are pleased to be here. Uh, as partners. Yes, there will be uh, some shadows from these towers. Certainly, yes, there will be more people in the area, but they'll bring a vibrancy to what is essentially uh, the bottom of a bridge that was overgrown with scrub. The Squamish Nation is committing to close to $50 million towards road upgrades, with the acknowledgement that a ferry or streetcar service will likely be required to help ease the burden. Amadagahi, Global News. B.C. Ferries navigates some rough seas over executive pay, raises for its top brass in the past year, and why some critics say it's too much. Next on the News Hour.
if someone who went to my school could become a prime minister, I feel like I could do a lot now. Now that Liz Truss is British Prime Minister, students are getting a look back at the year she spent at a Burnaby school. That's coming up on the News Hour. And the BC guitar doctor helping the stars sound good. That's later. Right now, the BC Ferries has been plagued by issues affecting service in recent months. Passenger frustration isn't the only thing increasing. So, too, are executive salaries. And as our Aaron MacArthur found out, these pay hikes are not sitting well with critics. Crew shortages, mechanical breakdowns, delays, cancellations. A summer of challenges for BC Ferries. Passenger volumes rising to pre-pandemic levels. Yet the service couldn't match the demand. And while passengers were idling, executives were cashing in. Despite a report that found BC Ferries executives make too much money, the CEO and vice presidents all made more this year than last. Outgoing CEO Mark Collins saw his pay increase before he was let go, raking in a base salary of $534,000 with a total pay package including benefits and pension topping out at more than $635,000. Compare that to BC Hydro, where CEO Chris O'Reilly takes home a base pay of $379,000 and a total compensation package of more than $560,000. Over at ICBC, Nicholas Jimenez has a base salary of $422,000 and a total compensation package just shy of half a million dollars. Considering the BC government subsidizes the quasi-crown corporation, these raises not sitting well with the opposition Liberals. I think the public can accept that there's going to be, you know, reasonable pay paid to professionals if they're getting the kind of on-time results that people want to see with a ferry system. The problem is, under the NDP, we're getting neither. According to the chair of the BC Ferries Board, Joy McPhail, the new CEO will be paid a salary in line with the recommendations in the review. The salary will top out below $500,000. Municipal politicians... And ferry critics say the executive pay isn't the real issue. If you saved $500,000 in executive salaries, what's that going to do to replacing a multi-million dollar vessel? Nothing. It, it's not even going to pay for the toilets. Recruitment for a new CEO at BC Ferries continues. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, starting this Thursday, people who use public transit in the central Okanagan won't have to pay to take the bus. The move is part of the ongoing labour dispute that could escalate even further to no bus service at all. Kelowna Regional Transit drivers will refuse to collect fares. Their union is also asking transit users not to purchase new passes until the dispute is resolved. It's all in an effort to try to force the employer, First Transit, to negotiate a new contract, with key issues in the dispute being wages and benefits. Global News reached out to the employer for comment, but so far no one from the company has responded. Just ahead, lessons from San Francisco. Well, this doorway here pretty much is where I used to sleep. What Vancouver can learn from the city of love and how it's handling its own opioid crisis. But first, the latest on the manhunt in Saskatchewan. A false alarm near the scene of the crime. 
Good evening and good news. Traffic is eased off here eastbound on Highway 1 in Surrey after some emergency sinkhole repair near 152nd Street in the HOV lane. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 and 152nd in Surrey. In Saskatchewan tonight, the RCMP is desperately trying to zero in on Miles Sanderson, the remaining suspect wanted in that deadly stabbing spree that unfolded in Weldon, Saskatchewan and the James Smith Cree Nation. At least 10 people were killed, 18 others injured, and Sanderson's brother Damien has also been found dead. Today, a possible sighting back where it all began and putting the community on edge. On day three of the manhunt for Miles Sanderson, a mad dash by police back to where the rampage began. We received multiple reports that Miles Sanderson had been seen at James Smith Cree Nation. The alert went out just before noon. Residents were told to shelter in place as officers searched homes on the First Nation, as well as the woods surrounding them. But Miles was not found. Three hours later, another alert. Sanderson's whereabouts are still unknown. Because of the, the nature of the investigation that we're dealing with, uh, we put that alert out very quickly before we had really uh, a lot of time to confirm that information. Miles Sanderson is now the lone son large after his brother Damien was found dead on the First Nation earlier this week, becoming the 11th death connected to the crime spree. We're learning more about Miles Sanderson's lengthy criminal history. Documents obtained by Global News show he has 59 criminal convictions since he turned 18, the most recent including assault with a weapon and assaulting a peace officer. A psychological report done in 2020 found Sanderson lives with depression and has suicidal thoughts. It detailed drug and alcohol abuse and listed known affiliations with gang members. He was released on parole in February. In its decision, the parole board wrote he did not pose an undue risk and releasing him would help him become a law-abiding citizen. He needs to be caught. Uh, he needs to be caught, and I, I trust that he will be caught. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe says he's been assured RCMP will be given all the resources they need to ensure that happens. This is concerning, concerning uh, for the community of James Smith, Weldon, the surrounding communities, concerning for me, uh, if not uh, too terribly far away, and I think concerning for all uh, Saskatchewan, uh, Saskatchewan residents. Residents who are once again being told to watch for anything suspicious because police still have no idea where Miles Sanderson is. He could be anywhere in the province at this point in time. Tom Vernon, Global News, Weldon, Saskatchewan. And in an update late today, Regina Police Chief Evan Bray says the force believes Sanderson may no longer be in the Saskatchewan capital. Still, he says members are continuing to look for the suspect in Regina and elsewhere in the province. An apparent random stabbing overnight in Nanaimo has left one man dead. RCMP say it happened at Maffeo Sutton Park in the downtown area. Officers were responding to a report of a group of youth intimidating a security guard along the waterfront and were searching for the suspects when they came across the 29-year-old stabbing victim. His friend had also been bear sprayed and was treated at the scene. A 19-year-old man and a 17-year-old male were both arrested. What we could say is this is a, an attack with just a tragedy. This individual who was stabbed had no connection to these people. He just happened to be at the park with his friends enjoying an evening out when for whatever reason they were bear sprayed and stabbed. It's very disturbing when you see the yellow tape and the police uh, cutting off a good chunk of a park and you find out it was because somebody was killed. That's kind of sad. 
RCMP believe a third person was also involved. They are still looking for that suspect. Charges have not been laid. A teen couple is facing charges in connection with a stabbing in downtown Vancouver. The VPD says a 25-year-old man was stabbed several times Monday morning outside the Murray Hotel and SRO at Hornby and Helmkin. Police say a 16-year-old girl and her 18-year-old boyfriend fled the scene before being located and arrested near Andy Livingston Park. Police say the two are known to them and believe they knew the victim. The pair was later released and scheduled to appear in court in December. The victim suffered serious injuries but is expected to survive. Some people are asking if the answer to Vancouver's drug crisis lies just south of us in San Francisco. A delegation of police and business leaders recently traveled there to see how their Chinatown is coping after COVID. Homelessness and drug issues escalated during the pandemic in both cities. But south of the border, police and recovery advocates say intervention is needed to stop people from dying. Kristen Robinson has more. Many of San Francisco's close to 8,000 homeless end up in the Tenderloin. The epicenter of a drug crisis that's claimed 1,300 lives in two years. About two people a day die here. Fentanyl, the number one killer. Sooner or later, people have to make a choice. And that choice right now is either find recovery, seek recovery, pursue recovery, or death. Those are our choices because the drug itself, fentanyl, has taken away any other choices. Today, Tom Wolf only gets high on caffeine. He spent six months living on Golden Gate Avenue, a homeless heroin and fentanyl addict, hustling to maintain his habit. This doorway here pretty much is where I used to sleep. The former public servant was prescribed oxycodone after foot surgery in 2015. He got hooked, spending his mortgage money on street drugs. When his house went into foreclosure, his wife told him to get treatment or get out. Wolf opted to leave. That's how powerful addiction is. I chose drugs over my own family. While he supports harm reduction, Wolf says there must be a balance between policing and public health. We've gone from a, a situation of where we were trying to hold people accountable at one point and maybe move them off the street into treatment that would hopefully end their homelessness into just supporting drug users in perpetuity. San Francisco residents recently voted overwhelmingly to recall their district attorney. Chesa Boudin was elected on a progressive platform to reform the criminal justice system and reduce incarceration, but critics say his policies were putting public safety at risk. But you can't just let organized drug dealers sell kilos and kilos and kilos of dope in one neighborhood that are driving 600, 700 overdose deaths a year. There has to be some measure of accountability. The SFPD is cracking down on the open-air drug market, but its top cop says enforcement is not enough. we got to go beyond that because that will not get us where we need to go. The chief supports an evidence-based approach, including compelling some to get treatment. Whatever those folks are addicted on, sometimes it's beyond what they're able to, to do themselves. I was one of those people. Wolf says he was saved when police posted his mugshot in June 2018 and the arresting officer pulled him aside. Says, look, I don't know what's going on with you, but I've talked to your wife, so I know that you're a family man. Uh, you're dirty, you're skinny, you need to get yourself cleaned up and get back to your family. This time, it resonated. I was just broken at that point. Um, you know, I didn't want to die out here. 
Three months in jail, followed by six months in inpatient drug rehab, Wolf got clean. He's back with his wife and children, hoping his story will save others. There's a subset of people out here that are nearly impossible to help, that require some kind of intervention, otherwise they're going to die. I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, San Francisco should not be comfortable with that. Vancouver should not be comfortable with that. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up, student exclusion. Exclusion is not decreasing. It's probably increasing, if anything, incrementally. Why some kids can't go back to school even though they're ready. But first, the major setback for a Vancouver Island junior football team after thieves break into a storage locker. Good evening and good news. Traffic is moving well in both directions over at the Alex Fraser Bridge as well as underneath it on Highway 17. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair of your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A junior football team on Vancouver Island that's had to tackle a number of setbacks is dealing with yet another one. Nanaimo RCMP say $50,000 in practice and game equipment was stolen from the Vancouver Island Raiders on August 31st. Mounties believe at least two thieves broke into the equipment building at the Caledonia Park practice facility. Last month, a fire was deliberately set at that facility and the team's change room was broken into and damaged last September. Anyone who heard or saw anything in the most recent incident is asked to call Nanaimo RCMP. Well, while many parents look forward to the start of a new year, some families with special needs children approach it with a sense of apprehension and even dread. A new report from a society that represents children with disabilities says incidents of exclusion in the BC school system are increasing. Krista Dow reports. As thousands of students return to class for the 2022 school year, there are many children that won't, excluded from attending or told to come later in the week. Exclusion is not decreasing, it's probably increasing, if anything, incrementally. Tracy Humphreys of BC Ed Access has been tracking exclusion trends for the past four years. Parents of children with disabilities or special needs reporting incidents of their child being left out of field trips or clubs or missing school altogether because of a lack of support. Kids either attending partial days or not being allowed to attend for days, weeks, months at a time. The report found last September alone there were 54 incidents of parents being asked to keep their child at home, amounting to 342 missed school days. In total, there were more than 4,700 incidents of exclusion, up almost 400 from the previous year. And incidents of restraint and seclusion continues, with parents reporting it happened 43 times. Advocacy groups call the findings deeply troubling, calling for steps to ensure all children have equal access to a safe education. It's shocking in some ways, and in some ways it's unsurprising. But then there's also another aspect of inclusion where when kids with disabilities are actually in the classroom, physically present, are they being meaningfully included? I'd like to see supports, holistic um, supports, equitably funded. So... Um, really looking at what is what we're just talking about and what we're actually delivering. 
Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside admitting more work needs to be done. We will certainly be following up with school districts. It's really important to understand what the circumstances are in the particular cases that they raise and important that we do that with uh, folks who are on the ground. That on-the-ground work will require more funding, Humphrey says, if changes are to be implemented. Now I see how sort of close to the bone schools and districts operate. Krista Dow, Global News. Coming up, bringing battered instruments back to life. I've had guitars show up in a shopping bag that were smashed <laughs> in a rage. The musical magician making miracles happen. But first, the British Prime Minister who once went to school in Burnaby and what it means to students going there now. From the stories we need to know, to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. An evacuation alert has been issued for a small community being threatened by a Manning Park wildfire. Residents of 180 properties in Eastgate have been warned they could be forced to leave at a moment's notice due to the Heather Lake wildfire, which has now grown to 1,900 hectares. It's burning out of control and is about 10 kilometers southwest of Eastgate and 5 kilometers from Manning Park Resort. Evacuation orders remain in place for a number of trails and facilities in Manning Park. Another reminder, we are still very much in uh, the middle or nearing the end, but still very much in fire season That's right. in B.C. Let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now to talk more about uh, what we can expect weather-wise. Christy? So you're exactly right. By the way, we really have still about 180 fires burning across the province. We're dealing with widespread smoke in a lot of the regions. So we'll have a look at your smoke forecast into tomorrow uh, because there's a number of areas that will still see widespread smoke tomorrow. But first, I just wanted to quickly show you we've been enjoying fantastic summer like weather. First day of school for the kids. It was great, uh, but it has had an impact. Here's a quick look. So, for example, across Vancouver Island, Victoria, less than 5% of the typical rainfall that they would see. And this is looking at the last 60 days, so only two millimeters of rainfall uh, at the airport, 13, Abbotsford, 10 versus what you would typically see during that time period. That's the column on the right. So it's been incredibly dry. In fact, there's a level three drought level across Vancouver Island and parts of the boundary area. And that means that the possible adverse effects are there. Um, that means impacts on the ecosystem and potentially social economic impacts as well because it has been so dry. Now, we have no rain in the forecast as far as we can see potentially on Monday, but a surge in heat once again, not heat warning criteria, but nonetheless, sunshine and warmth and we could see temperatures away from the water on Saturday reach 30 degrees. Meanwhile, the North Coast, though, region dealing with quite a system that's going to impact those regions overnight, wind and rain and then spreading showers and cloud cover in through the Caribou and Central Interior during the day tomorrow. That will also impact the North Columbia area. This is the smoke forecast I wanted to show you. We are expecting more of a westerly flow tomorrow. That should help improve the conditions, but there'll be a number of areas, certainly South Okanagan, as well as the Kootenai region, could still see widespread smoke come and go throughout the day tomorrow and particularly likely come back on Thursday. So a little bit of improvement tomorrow, but more widespread smoke expected on Thursday. Lots of sunshine, as you can see. I thought I would use our seven-day forecast because there is terrific weather on the way. Sunday and Monday is when I'm expecting cloud cover and a chance of showers expected on Monday. Tonight's center windows weather 
window coming to you from Jordan River where a fog bow was spotted yesterday morning and we are starting to see a lot of fog across the region so thank you to Martin for sharing this with us. A fog bow is basically just the sun's rays reflecting off of the water droplets in the fog there. All right guys back to you. Looks mystical. That's so cool. Thank you, Christy. Well, students across BC settled into their first day of class today, perhaps some with hopes of one day becoming a world leader. And they have a real life example to follow. They certainly do. New British Prime Minister Liz Truss was once a student at a Burnaby Elementary way back in the late 80s. And as Grace Key found out, that's providing inspiration for students there now. Okay, so Division 3, welcome back. <laughs> For the grade 6-7 class at Parkcrest Elementary in Burnaby, they're getting an important lesson on this first day of school. Dreams are within reach. So this is my grade 7 picture that was taken at Parkcrest. Brenda Montagano teaches at Parkcrest, the same school she attended more than 30 years ago. Who knew one of her classmates would become a world leader? This person's name is Liz Truss. Can you guess which student Liz might be? Well done. Does anyone know what she might do now? That new girl in grade seven with the cool English accent is now the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Liz Truss posted on Instagram, 30 years ago, I spent a year in Canada that changed my outlook on life. Back then, she had this kind of witty sense of humor and she would kind of end, say something coy or witty and she'd kind of have this little half smile after she, she made some joke or some pun and we all would be laughing. Trust doesn't explain how the year in Canada impacted her, but Brenda says if the picture is a clue, she has an idea. I would think it would have a lot to do with the teacher, um, Bill Chambers. He just made every student feel important and special and kind of figured out what your passions were, your interests, and helped us grow in those areas. Think big, what is a dream I have for the future. Brenda hopes this will be an inspiration to her students and let them know what you say and do can have a lasting impact on a person and help form who they are today. Known for a country and now famous, it's just really amazing. If someone who went to my school could become a prime minister, I feel like I could do a lot now. I think I'm going to be researching a lot of her a bit. Liz Truss may be across the pond now, but she's hopefully inspiring other young students to dream big. Doctor. To become a famous singer and to inspire many more. My dream I have for the future is to become a veterinarian. Grace Key, Global News. On to do big things, I'm sure, and do, this is just the start. You can do all of those things, for sure. <laughs> See what can, good things happen when you go to school in Burnaby? Well, you can become a sportscaster. Or Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Michael Buble. Is, if your name Sackick. is Michael is what you're saying. Well, Joe Sackick. Okay. Yeah. Keith Baldry. True. That's right. Who's what bigger a, than all the rest I just It's mentioned. the Mount Rushmore of Burnaby you've just named. Joe <laughs> Keithley. There's another. Uh, okay. So, uh, and there are many more. JT Miller has a new baby boy. He, of course, has a new contract extension with the Vancouver Canucks. And as a result, he can now concentrate solely on the upcoming hockey season. You know, I think it might free me up to play, you know, even a more consistent level of hockey and um, to know that, uh, you know, there's a commitment there. And he's happy he got the deal with the Canucks. Didn't have to be traded away or signed with another team as a free agent. Good to have him around. Also tonight, Musical Miracles, the local luthier who can rebuild just about anything. So I grew a beard while I was away on vacation and I vowed I would not shave it off. 
until JT Miller got a new contract. Mm -hmm. Wow. Here we are. Good how, thing. How did that happen? It's amazing. The Good foresight. Good thing. Right? Yeah. It's nice that, that the Canucks jumped on that grenade for us. I have all. a picture of it if <laughs> anyone wants it. I can tweet it out. Oh, don't yeah. do it. It's already out there. <laughs> JT Miller's seven-year, $56 million deal, of course, was finished last Friday, and immediately some around the NHL thought he might have gotten a bit more on the open market had he wanted to go to free agency next summer. But JT Miller is the kind of man who's not going to be upset at $8 million a year. He was happy getting that from the team where his career has truly blossomed. It's a lot of money, and I feel very fortunate to be uh, in the spot I'm in. Um, to be, I mean, honestly, no, I probably didn't scratch, but at the same time, I, you know, we thought that we were going for an offer that was fair on my end, and and the trumping factor is that I want to be in Vancouver, and I love this group of guys, and I want to win in Vancouver. You know, I still think we still have a ton of confidence from last year. Um, we talked a lot last year about knowing we have a good team in that locker room. It's just going to get better with time, and you know, I think the time maybe is coming a little faster now. I think that. Uh, you know, our depth's up front, especially with the additions of uh, Mikheyev and Curtis. I think it's, you know, we have, you know, nine to ten guys that can literally play wherever in the lineup. And that's, you know, it's awesome. And, and four really solid lines. And obviously our decor last year, we defended really well with our group. So it's so a lot of reasons to be excited. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I certainly have a high expectation for our group this year. And I'm sure everybody else does as well. And just really to continue off of how we played, you know, when Bruce got there last year. Okay, so now that Miller is signed until 2030, there is one player left in the core group they have to make a decision on, and that's Bo Horvat. He does have a year left on his current contract, pays about five and a half a year. I'm guessing his agent and he might be thinking $7 million a year in the new deal, and if that's the case, Patrick Alvin will have to get all those assistant GMs he has and do some serious math with the salary cap. But Alvin does say he wants to find a way to keep Horvat in Vancouver beyond this coming season. Bo is our captain. Uh, we uh, respect and we like Bo, and uh, um, we're communicating with, with his camp, and um, we'll see if there is a deal to be made here. First, Horvat steals. Bo Horvat in on the left wing. Horvat snap shot, scores! We don't have to make moves uh, coming into this season in order to uh, to uh, get both signed here. But uh, uh, moving forward, uh, we need to uh, uh, be aware of the cap situation and uh, potentially um, uh, some roster decisions uh, coming into next summer. Canada's women's national soccer team, another game against Australia. Speaking of people who went to school in Burnaby, Christine Sinclair. 317th game for Canada, sets up Adriana Leon for a goal here to make it 1-1. The Aussies scored the first goal. Leon, three goals in these two games. This is the second one, it's a nice one. Good pass from Jade Rose, one of the young players for Canada. This is in the 64th minute. A 2-1 win for the Canadians over the Matildas, as they like to call them in Australia. Well, as you know, injuries have turned Rick Campbell's all-Canadian quarterback duo into an all-former Montreal Alouettes quarterbacking duo with the BC Lions. Ironically, it's just in time for the Lions to play in Montreal on Friday. Antonio Pipkin is expecting to start. Vernon Adams is expecting to play some as well. Good. More reps today. Uh, we, we, want, we were hoping to increase the reps every day, and um, basically those, uh, him and Pip split the reps today, and um, so far, so good, and we'll uh, we'll make a decision on exactly what we're doing and how much he's playing um, once we get through tomorrow's practice.
The Seattle Seahawks will start the season in the most perfect show business way by playing Monday Night Football at home against former quarterback Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. So how will the crowd at Lumen Field react to Wilson as a Bronco? His old friend and teammate Tyler Lockett feels there should be nothing but love and respect. In other words, there is no need to boo. In the NFL, it's, it's kind of different because you see people come and go all the time. But in my career, you know, Russ has always been here. And so, of course, it's weird that he's leaving and stuff like that. But that's when you kind of got to renew your mind and shift your mind and be able to understand that you're still celebrating him for who he is and you're still cheering him on. It's just you don't get to see him every day like you used to. I mean, that's really how I feel about it. I think that Seattle should cheer him on, you know, for everything that he's done, brought helped bring a Super Bowl to this community, all that different type of stuff. Like, he's an amazing guy. SFU has finally come up with a nickname for its sports teams that dropped Klansmen a couple of years ago. Today they announced that they will be known as the SFU Red Leafs. Okay, they're the only Canadian school in the NCAA. I get what they're doing, Maple Leafs, Red Leafs. But if any student at SFU wrote a paper that said the tree had red leafs, I think they'd probably get an <laughs> F on that paper. For leaf. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, we'll find out what a luthier is, and it's not a comic book villain. Stay with us. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. And Chris, the federal public safety minister has just announced there will be an investigation into the decision to grant mass stabbing suspect Miles Sanderson parole back in February. As Global first reported last night, the board somehow concluded that releasing Sanderson would, quote, contribute to the protection of society. Plus, a Canada-wide warrant is out tonight for a man who's missing from a halfway house. Victoria police say 39-year-old Brandon White was doing time for a number of offenses, including robbery. If you see him, call 911. And at 11, we'll have details on the vehicle he may be driving. Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. Well, if your beloved guitar has met with a terrible fate, don't fret. You can take it to Nicole Alosinac, a guitar restorer to the stars. Trained originally in carpentry, she's hitting a higher note now with her special set of skills. And as Jay Durant tells us, on This Is BC, there is no challenge too big for her to tackle. This is a 1939 Kalamazoo. From vintage models to completely demolished. I've had guitars show up in a in a shopping bag that were smashed <laughs> in a rage. So toothpicks that I've put back together. This is kind of where some of the magic happens. Nicola Lawsonak can restore just about anything with strings. This is going to be brought back to life. Acoustic guitars, electric guitars, mandolins, ukuleles, banjos, uh, air hoos, um, sitars. We affectionately refer to it as Guitar Mountain. And this is the work that I haven't started yet. Years ago, the former cabinet maker realized she could use her woodworking skills to become a luthier, following her true passion into music. It's silly, but you have like hopes and dreams for the, the guitar when you're building it. You're like, okay, like what are you going to do out there? What sounds are you going to make? Like, and I, I just, I want you to sound great. She specializes in dramatic restorations. So eventually this, you can see I've got that bent and it'll, it'll go on there. It's just fantastic. Early in her career, Canadian rocker Randy Bachman brought his unique collection of guitars to Nicole with all kinds of challenging requests. He would find these broken ones 
and just be like, okay, it's broken in this way. That's hard to fix, but maybe we can put a sound hole there or we could put an F hole there. Let's put some inlay on that. Or, hey, this guitar is too wide for me. Can you cut it in half that way? It's got a big hole in uh, right in the heart of the tone making spot. She's dealt with everything from airline baggage catastrophes to vacation mishaps. Somebody fell on it at a, at a campfire, you know, sing along. If you have the time and the budget, Nicola Lawsonak can bring any cherished instrument back to life. It'll be good as new, except it'll sound as good as old. Pretty much everything can be saved. It's just, is it, is it worth it to be saved? And if it's not worth it to be saved, then at least you've got the memory and hopefully a recording. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Nice to have our little band back together, isn't it? Mm, it yes. Is. Welcome back. And Ooh. good that you're clean shaven again. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it wouldn't have gone over. I don't think it, it would have gone over well. It looked good, but this is better. Why, thank you. Why not? It was fine. <laughs> oh, thank you. you thank you, Gordo. Uh, good luck to your boys and everybody else out there who sent the kids back to school today. Have a great night, everyone. Good night, all.